Good morning, Trace. I was, th- I was humming, there is power in Let's give it up for our praise and worship team, can we? And I want, I want a little bit of those applause to go to Josiah and Jessica Weiss. Our children's ministry is just growing like crazy. Josiah may have have mentioned this and I was just thinking about my lesson. There were 200 kids in our youth ministry program last week. That's like crazy cool. So God is up to something through Josiah and Jessica. Those guys are awesome. I'm super excited to get to talk with you today about my best friend, Jesus. Um, And I, uh, this morning, wanna talk specifically about the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so when we're talking about mercy and grace, you've probably heard of a definition of these terms. When I'm thinking mercy, I'm thinking not getting what I do deserve. And as Christians, what that would mean, as a Christian, what that means for me is that I don't get the punishment for the sin that I do deserve. That's mercy. And you've probably heard a similar definition of grace. It's getting better than I actually deserve. And in Christ, for me, what that means is I get God's favor and the righteousness of Christ when I don't deserve either. And man, I have been praying and just seeking God on this and uh, came to a verse that I think may be one of the best verses, if not the very best, that describes both. So you may not be familiar with this text. This is 1 Peter 5.10. And here's the way it reads. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and steadfast. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I just sense that you are gonna heal some hurts this morning. I sense that you're gonna lift some burdens this morning. And I sense that there's some restoration coming uh, for some who are in attendance here this morning. I hope all. And I'm just asking that you open our hearts and our minds and hear the word that you have uh, placed on my heart that has been so moving to me. And I just ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So we can't really have a discussion about mercy and grace without talking about the reason we need mercy and grace to begin with, which is because of our own failure. And I wanna oversimplify today, but I wanna break failure down into two different categories. So you might could think of more and we might could think of more words that describe failure. But this morning, oversimplifying two categories. The first category of failure, I wanna call accidents. Accidents, right? So accidents are unintentional, which means I didn't do it on purpose. And a phrase that came to my mind as I was thinking about accidents is you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? So how many of you before age 10 accidentally touched a hot stove and burnt your hand? Let me see a show of hands. Keep them up just so we can see the adventurous spirited members of our congregation here. God bless you all. Now, how many of you that touched a hot stove after you learned that it was hot and could burn you Touched it again, show of hands. Okay, if you're raising your hand now, you need to meet some of our prayer team members in the back of church after service, right? We need to pray God's protection over you in the name of Jesus. All right, so yeah, accidents. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. 
And accidents are usually resolvable and often it doesn't maybe take a whole lot. You pick yourself up, dust yourself off, make some amends, make a commitment to learn from the accident and move forward with life. Accidents are just a consequence of living life this side of heaven in a world cursed by sin. Calamities, tragedies, and misfortunes all influence accidents. But there's a second category of failure that I wanna call mistakes. And mistakes aren't unintentional, they're unintelligent. And a phrase that comes to mind when I think about mistakes is you knew better, but you didn't do better. And mistakes, depending on uh, the magnitude, are, are possibly resolvable if we work through a restoration and a healing process. And mistakes are not the, the side effect of living life this side of heaven in a sin-cursed world. Uh, mistakes are the result of Trent's sin. And this morning, I wanna talk with you about a friend of mine who made the biggest mistake of his life. And this friend of mine's name is Peter, and you probably have heard of him and read some stuff about him. He's kind of a famous guy in the New Testament. And here's the moment Peter makes his biggest mistake in life. It's from Luke 22. And so this is the moment where Jesus has just been betrayed and the religious leaders of Jesus's day are taking him to the house of the high priest and Peter's standing right here. So here's, here's the text. Um, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, listen to this, followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in a courtyard and had sat down together, second important point, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl then saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man, sorry, has that sounded weird so far? Test. Has that been sounded weird? Is this better? You guys add a little more bass to my voice back there. Uh, thanks, you guys. Our audiovisual team is fantastic. They're constantly working on stuff like that behind the scenes. So there is this servant girl who's looking at Jesus and she's like, this man was with him, but he denied it. Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So before we get on to what I wanna to touch base on this morning, I wanna talk about the path that led to Peter making his biggest mistake. And we just read it in that section of text. The first step Peter takes to making the biggest mistake of his life, I wanna call catastrophic success. Now, you, you'd have to read a, a lot more of the gospels and I'm gonna just blitz through this to give you some context to make this point. But if you read the story of Peter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would notice that Peter was on the inner circle of Jesus's inner circle. He was like three, one of the three closest guys to Jesus. And, and just, just 
just because it's important, Peter's name is Simon Peter. And so sometimes gospels, uh, the stories about Jesus call Peter Simon. Sometimes they call him Peter. Sometimes they call him Simon Peter. So he's one of Jesus's inner three closest followers. He and James and John, who were the inner three, saw miracles that were some of the most magnificent Jesus ever performed, and they were the only ones to see them. It was those three who were present on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus gets glorified. When Jesus is overwhelmed to the point of sweating blood, he asks Peter, James, and John to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, Peter is the first guy to look at Jesus and say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, Peter, nobody on earth could have revealed that to you. My father in heaven has revealed that to you. That was the moment of Peter's biggest and greatest success. Unfortunately, that success in Peter led to pride. In a few verses before those verses we read that, that describe Peter's biggest mistake, his denial of even knowing Jesus, he says in Luke uh, twenty two thirty three, 33, when Jesus tells him, you're gonna be attacked by the enemy and it's not gonna go great, Peter's like, but Jesus, I am ready to go with you to prison or to death. That's a statement of pride and it's evidence of what I think we could call catastrophic success. And I think sometimes in life, our moments of greatest success precede our moments of greatest failure. Man, when we're desperate and we're struggling and we need Jesus, it's easy to be dependent on him. But when everything's going great and we're successful and we feel independent and self-reliant, it's real easy to kind of think, I got this. And that leads to the second step that Peter takes that leads to his biggest failure, which is called drift, drift. So Peter has just said, Lord, I'll go with you to prison or to death if that's what it takes to be your follower. And when the religious leaders seize Jesus and take him to the house of the high priest, based on Peter's statement, where should Peter be? Right next to Jesus. But instead of being right next to Jesus, after Jesus gets seized and they're taken to the house of the high priest, Peter, Peter drifts back and he follows Jesus at a distance. I wanna give you a good example of drift. This is the mission statement of a well-known university here in the United States. Here's the mission statement, quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Let me give that to you one more time, quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, end quote. That is not the mission statement of Colorado Christian University. You might be surprised to learn that it's the first official mission statement of Harvard University after it was founded in 1636. Today, Harvard doesn't resemble its original mission statement at all. How is that? Drift. It's the accumulation in Peter's life and in the journey of Harvard University of seemingly unimportant decisions that lead to a distance between Peter and Jesus or Harvard and Jesus. And the next step that, that Peter takes that leads to his biggest mistake is that he's around the wrong people and is around the wrong places 
and saying it out at the wrong time. And so we read that from that section of Matthew 22, when someone there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together. This is a really important phrase. Peter sat down with them. Why is he with these people? Why is he not with the other disciples? And just like we talked about, why is he not in the house of the high priest next to our Lord Jesus Christ himself? So there, there's an equation I think that we should learn from this uh, idea that, that people plus places plus time equals pressure. And sometimes that works out to our advantage. The right people in the right places at the right time leads to right living, right? But the wrong people in the wrong places at the wrong times leads to wrong living. And you add Peter's catastrophic success with his drift and put him in bad company and he's capable of doing something maybe he never would have otherwise. And as he denies Jesus for the third time, he hears one of the most terrifying sounds described in the scriptures. And it's the crowing of a rooster. And at that moment, Peter looks up. And when he looks up, the Lord turns and looks straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So the word bitter uh, from Luke twenty two sixty two 62 is the Greek word pikros. And it means a piercing bitterness. And so if we really want to get the sense for what the text is saying here, it would be that Peter went outside and felt broken. But not like I broke my arm, like my heart is broken. And that brokenness to Peter would have felt like overwhelming shame. And you can relate to this church because this is how we feel when we make big mistakes. What does overwhelming shame say to us? Trent, you didn't just make a big mistake. You are a big mistake. So just to disclose, as a preacher, sometimes I'm like prepping a sermon and I'm thinking, oh man, this is for the church. And sometimes I'm prepping a sermon, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, this one, this one's for me. And I kind of felt that this week. And I started feeling that right at this point in my preparation. And I started thinking about my big mistakes. And man, if, you, if you've made one-tenth of the mistakes I've made, you're... you're a questionable character. I, I really do feel like I've made a lot of big mistakes. And when I've made a big mistake and I have looked up and looked at the eyes of the person that I've hurt, 
I've seen the same look reflected back at me that you have. It's eyes of resentment looking at me. It's eyes of disappointment looking at me. It's eyes of anger looking at me. And when Peter hears that terrifying sound of the rooster's crow and looks up and makes eye contact with Jesus, I know that's what he was expecting to see. But he doesn't see what he's expecting to see. And I'm gonna prove this to you in a second, but he looks up and I think he's expecting a scornful look at Jesus and on Jesus's face, he sees the look of absolute mercy and grace. And it crushed him. And he's pierced to the core and he runs outside and he weeps not because he thinks Jesus hates him, but because he hates himself. Trace, you know this story. Things from here go from bad to worse. In the next couple of days, Jesus will be beaten and tortured as severely as anyone in recorded history is beaten and tortured. And Peter's watching this. And then Jesus is crucified and he's buried in a borrowed tomb. And I think the three days following Jesus's crucifixion are the worst days of Peter's life. I think he's telling himself a lot of the stuff we tell ourselves after our biggest mistakes and the enemy's working on him too. And that inner voice has to sound something like, you are a failure. You're a phony. You're a fake. You're a fraud. You're never going to amount to anything. You'll never measure up. After this, you'll never be enough. Your life's as good as over. You should find the end of the world and jump off. You should take your own life. And man, I, that registered with me when I thought that. And some of you have walked through similar valleys and some of you may be there right now. And that could have been the end for Peter. It really could have. But three days later, some ladies who were hanging out with Jesus's inner circle were desperate to go to the tomb. They wanted to see Jesus's body. They wanted to anoint him with oil. And on the way, they're talking like, man, who's gonna roll away this stone? And, and they get there and the stone's been rolled away. And there's an angel who's waiting for them in the tomb. And in Mark 16, here's the way that discussion looks. Don't be alarmed, this angel says. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, he has risen. He's not here. Come and see the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples. This gets me, man. And Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. 
And there you'll see him just as he told you. Now it's, it, it's obvious why Jesus wanted his followers to know, but why does he mention Peter specifically? Go tell Peter. It's because Jesus knew when he looked Peter in the eye, what Peter was thinking. It's because he knew Peter expected resentment or scorn or disappointment or anger to be reflected back at him in the eyes of Jesus. And instead he saw absolute mercy and grace. And Jesus knew that it was killing him. And he wanted Peter to know there's still hope and help is on the way. And just for a second, I want you to think about this because this is what hit me hard and it's never occurred to me before this moment. I'm reading this and I'm like, man, it's almost like Jesus is telling the angel, tell the disciples, tell Trent too, tell Trent too. And hey, Trent, tell Trace Church, but tell that one person out there too that needs to hear from me that I'm alive, that there's hope and help is on the way. Man, these ladies, they get this message and they're running back to the disciples and they're like, look, here, here's what happened. You're, you're not gonna believe this. The Lord Jesus has risen. He's not in the tomb. And he told us to come tell you guys. And, and most of them don't believe, but one guy is up and out of there like grease lightning. This is Luke 24, 12. Peter gets up and ran to the tomb. Of course he did. Why? Because all of a sudden, Hopeless became hopeful. Man, if he's alive, just maybe. And he bends over and he sees the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself, man, what happened? And so after this moment, everybody's in Jerusalem right now. Two disciples are like, Jesus has been crucified. We saw him tor get tortured. He's been buried three days. Like we're hearing that he's maybe, we don't know what's going on. So they leave Jerusalem to go home back to a town called Emmaus. And on the way to Emmaus, uh, they encounter a fellow traveler who joins them on their journey back to Emmaus. And they get to Emmaus and this traveler prays and breaks bread. And in that moment reveals himself to be the resurrected Lord Jesus. And they've had a conversation up to that moment. And these guys are like, we gotta go back and tell everybody. We've seen Jesus too. It's not just the ladies at the tomb, like we saw him. And so they, they leave Emmaus after Jesus appeared to them on the road to Jerusalem and they return to Jerusalem. And in Luke 23, uh, 24, 34, they find the 11 and those with them assembled together. They said, it's true. 
The Lord has risen. And he told us he appeared to Simon. I've read this hundreds of times, but it wasn't until this moment, this sermon prep that I'm like, wait, what? At some point, Jesus appears individually to Simon himself. Man, what, what did that conversation sound like? When we get to heaven, we get to ask Jesus and Peter, what, what did you guys talk about? And Peter doesn't really say. So in, in prep for this, I read all the sermons Peter taught in the book of Acts, every letter Peter wrote, gospel accounts. <clears throat> and there's no specific description of that. that. That appearance also is described in 1 Corinthians 15, but we don't get a word for word description. But after I was reading all the writings of Peter, I'm like, he still has this one theme that's like very, very prominent in his writings and teaching. And let me read it to you again. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, and it might feel like your suffering leads you through the valley of the shadow of death itself. After you've suffered a little while, that God of grace and mercy will himself. I think that's the conversation they had in that post-resurrection moment. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter didn't get what he deserved. And instead, he got much better than he did deserve. That is the mercy and grace of Jesus. If I mention one phrase I want you to take home, it'd be this. Your biggest mistakes may exceed the mercy and grace capacity of other humans here on earth. But your biggest mistakes will never exceed the mercy and grace capacity of your father in heaven.